0: You are listening to the first podcast episode from the Utrecht Young Academy. The Utrecht Young Academy brings together a diverse group of young academics who openly exchange critical perspectives on academia, policy, and society. In this episode, I will talk to Professor of Law Alain Mock. How did she become a law professor? What can academics learn from judges in dealing with perils of the new public management? And how can slowness of law be one of its strengths? Here are the answers to these questions in my dialogue with Professor Alain Mock. I'm San Livaez and this is the voice of Utrecht Young Academy.
1: I'm a legal theorist. One of the issues that I'm working with in my current research uh, concerns cooperation between judges uh, in the EU. Um, and uh, Well, my, my hope is with that research uh, to clarify what kind of cooperation is taking place uh, not just top down because the european commission uh, or the the uh, european treaties demand more cooperation but also from from the bottom up so what kind of exchanges are there between judges and courts in different eu member states and why do judges find it important to be engaged in this interaction when i went to university Uh, I had this idea of becoming a practicing lawyer. That changed fairly quickly. Uh, I've always been kind of the nerdy girl already in high school and that continued in university. Uh, And so already at the end of my first year, I was uh, getting good grades, so that was noticed. And then I was asked to become uh, a research assistant uh, in the Department of Legal Theory. That was more or less by chance that they needed a research assistant there. So I worked there for three years during my studies and really saw what research was about uh, and got enthusiastic about that. I did some traineeships still and I studied abroad for two years before finally deciding uh, that academia was the thing for me.
0: I understood that uh, your family members are also uh, scholars. You have uh, articles with uh, two other mugs. Is it in the family?
1: Well. I must say that this is quite a recent uh, development because uh, the other uh, professors in the family are my two sisters, uh, Chantal and Vanessa Mack. And they are both law professors, uh, one at Tilburg University and one of the, at the University of Amsterdam. But we are the first academics in the family and the first professors in the family. And, well, of course, uh, people then always ask, but how come and what inspired you? And they are... I would say one of the the reasons uh, for me and also for my sisters to study law connects with my father's work. Um, My father went to university only when he was 40 years old uh, because he didn't have the chance to do that when he was younger. Uh, And he always had the dream to study law. In his turn he he had been inspired by a famous Dutch novel, uh, Character. uh, in which uh, a young man also with many struggles in the end uh, manages to become a successful lawyer uh, so my uh, my father studied law uh, he did did that really quickly uh, in the evening hours while he was also still still working uh, doing another job uh, and then at 45 uh, he started up his own law firm uh, as a practitioner by himself uh, my mom uh, got her secretary's diploma and she started helping him uh, and they practiced uh, together for more than 20 years. Uh, so growing growing up, that has been a great example to me and really made me think, oh, being a lawyer, that sounds interesting. That sounds, sounds well, also like something that can mean something for society. Uh, my father did uh, a lot of cases, uh, for example, in immigration law uh, and small criminal cases and cases of psychiatric patients. So that really made me aware that the law and being a la- lawyer, uh, has a big impact in society.
0: What's so special about research?
1: I think it's really the only job which um, helped me to, to to fulfill my curiosity about, about how things work in society and which enables me to really go in depth into difficult questions. So for me it's both the content that I find extremely interesting and intriguing uh, not just in law, actually, but I'm well, uh, starting to know more about other disciplines. And there are so many questions which are extremely intriguing and where I just want to know the answer. But then also the the way of approaching questions. I haven't found any other profession, any other occupation where it's really possible to spend so much time really going in depth into uh, difficult questions and trying to figure out how things work, trying to uh, take a step further from what we know already. Mm -hmm. So one of the researches that I conducted uh, focused on the influence of new public management on the judicial system. Basically, the development that we saw there um, is that the courts, who traditionally uh, are based on rule of law principles, so they should function independently and judges should deal with cases uh, impartially, so without bias. We saw that um, then the court system started to be influenced by uh, management principles, uh, which imply that courts should function more as companies do, and that judges then could be um, held accountable for how uh, how much time they spend on dealing with cases and where the specific uh, steps in the procedure were really necessary to reach a decision. Now, and there you, you can already uh, feel that there is some kind of tension there. Who imposed
0: that? Or who decided that the courts should go in this direction?
1: That's a good question. Uh, we see um, it's part of a larger societal trend because uh, similar trends have occurred in... Um, in the hospitals for example and in education and then uh, part of it is steered by politics so there has been an extensive reform of the judiciary uh, to uh, make the court system more effective and efficient Uh, and um, a very clear uh, example of that new public management influence we see then in the establishment of the council for the judiciary uh, that was established in 2002 Uh, and it's currently the central management organ for the courts of first instance and the courts of appeal in the netherlands and it takes care of the budget for the courts it distributes that uh, between the courts um, and has developed a very sophisticated model which uh, tells the courts how much time they can spend on well, small cases and how much time they can spend on big cases and uh, anything in between. So
0: it's based on accountancy and uh, the distribution of money?
1: Well, it's a little bit uh, sim- simplified to say it like that, but uh, indeed, economic factors uh, have been very influential in this reform. Still, uh, with the law uh, putting a barrier uh, to uh, the influence of the council for the judici- judiciary on uh, the courts. Uh, then again, connected with the idea of judicial independence, still, it's the the judge in a specific case who, in the end. Um, has the autonomy to decide uh, on procedural steps uh, and who is the only one who decides on the content of the court case. And however, the new public management framework uh, puts more yeah, judges uh, considered to to be constrained uh, on uh, the, their freedom to Uh, make procedural decisions regarding their work. 2012 and the beginning of 2013 there has been a a big debate starting within the judiciary where judges uh, from Leewarde in the north of the Netherlands published a manifesto uh, in which they basically criticized the council for the judiciary on a number of issues. Uh, And there we saw uh, this tension coming back again between the rule of law principles and uh, the new public management. What my research has shown uh, is that these principles will always need to be balanced now because new public management has become a part of the constitutional framework for the judicial organization. Therefore, it's uh, legal and it's legitimate uh, that these principles are taken into account uh, when looking at our judicial system. Um, at the same time, what well, the balancing question comes back again and again. And then it's important that a basic threshold, uh, which goes back to the rule of law, is respected. And that threshold we find in the Dutch constitution, but also in international treaties. For example, uh, Article 6 of the European Convention on Human Rights is instrumental here, which uh, uh, guarantees the right to a fair trial for citizens. And we see that that's a basic threshold um, regarding standards of independence and impartiality that cannot be crossed.
0: There were also cases that uh, people bring up the new public management at the universities. Have you yourself, as a person who not only studies new public management in the court system, but also works at the university, can put yourself in the shoes of those judges uh, as somebody who is also subject to that? And what's your experience with the new public management at the university?
1: You are right, universities are also uh, very much affected by the new public management. And as a researcher, I've experienced that, for example, in the form of publication norms. Ten years ago, I think, uh, no law faculty had publication norms. People just spent time on their research uh, and uh, depending on how fast that went, they published a book or an article. But since then, uh, there has been uh, this uh, development where currently I think most of the law schools in the Netherlands uh, have publication norms saying you have to publish, well, mostly it's about three um, academic articles every year. Uh, And once in a while, there's an evaluation to see whether researchers have met that norm. So that's very clearly also a norm which reflects ideas of uh, effectiveness and efficiency. And let me be clear about this. I'm not against this. I think uh, in the end, uh, as researchers, uh, we are quite often uh, conducting our research with taxpayers' money. And it's only fair that uh, the general public should then uh, see that we actually... Uh, produce something from that money.
0: Are the numbers or the norms uh, a decent way of uh, measuring that you produce something for them?
1: Well, there indeed it becomes problematic uh, because of course uh, quantification uh, is not a real answer. Um, It can show us that there is output from researchers but it does not tell us anything about the quality of that output Uh, or whether uh, it's actually reasonable to expect uh, from researchers to have these three articles or maybe it's reasonable to expect it from one researcher in a specific field but not from another in a different field. Um, So it's imperfect again.
0: What was it in the case of the judiciary system that you learned from their practice or their reflex on the new public management that you would possibly be able to compare with the situation of university or, you know, see, see parallels in between them?
1: Uh, well, what I think is an important lesson from the judiciary is that there is uh, a boundary uh, to pushing for uh, effectiveness and efficiency. It can only go so far. And uh, I think in, in the judiciary, uh, we see that that currently there's kind of a situation uh, where um, the courts have really said, well, this these, this, is the budget that we need, otherwise we won't be able to do our work. And judges themselves, they are currently taking back their autonomy, for example, by developing professional standards uh, in which they set the framework uh, for procedures rather than, than uh, taking up the guidelines of the council for the judiciary and uh, i think for universities it kind of uh, it works in a similar way um i think the situation is still not as stressful as for the judiciary uh, maybe because there are also other um ways in which uh researchers can find funding for their research what i do think is that um we should discuss more about uh, the gray area between the organization and the content of the work. That's something which comes back in the judiciary because organizational decisions can affect by giving judges less time to deal with a specific case, Uh, organizational decisions can affect the content of the decision. A similar thing applies at the university. By setting norms for number of publications, then researchers might be restrained too much in the time that they can spend on researching a specific question, which then affects the content of their research. So I think that is something important to keep in mind, uh, because as judicial independence is important for the judiciary, academic, Uh, freedom and academic autonomy is very important for research to flourish.
0: How do you personally make this balance in your own domain?
1: Well so far I've been fortunate in the sense that I have uh, been able to obtain a number of research grants uh, which allow me to conduct my research uh, and uh, basically buy more research time within the university. Still um, I also teach and I do want to teach um, and uh, fulfill management tasks. Um, so personally, uh, it's always a balancing act to get everything done. Uh, and I think like many people who work in the universities, the work doesn't end when I close the door. Uh, and that's mostly not at five o'clock, but a little bit later.
0: Do you feel overwhelmed?
1: No, no, I don't feel overwhelmed. I must say I, I thoroughly enjoy the work that I am doing and I feel privileged to be able to uh, have this kind of work because uh, basically, well, it's uh, it's something that I en- enjoy doing most. Um, I wouldn't go as far as saying that it's my hobby uh, which has become my work, but uh, I do enjoy research and teaching and uh, the organizational tasks uh, very much um, because I feel that, Well, to me it's really fulfilling in this way to to see things develop and to be able to contribute to academics debates, to to contribute to the education of new generations uh, of lawyers. Yeah, but it's, it's a demanding job.
0: One of the things that I, from an outsider, I see is that so legal theories and legal practice are based on a very long tradition and historical cases, while one can argue that, or one can observe that the changes in society are happening at very fast and for some unexpected pace. Uh, how can the legal system catch up with this fast pace of changes? And the case of Europe is one of the cases which is changing very fast. And mm-hmm. I don't know how how you would actually go about reacting or responding to such fast pace of change.
1: Yes, that that's always one of the the tensions in which the law finds itself. So also think of the development of technologies. Uh, Laws can hardly keep up uh, with that. Actually, I think we could also turn it around. One of the main strengths of the law is its slowness uh, and the stability with that uh, entails. Uh, So uh, the law is sometimes slow in responding to societal changes but in that way it can also function as a buffer uh, and make sure that changes uh, do not take place too quickly or without a thorough reflection and as an example think also of Uh, the um, uh, recent events in the United States uh, where the courts uh, struck down the travel bans imposed by President Trump. Uh, There we see that the the judges do that because there is a law which backs them up. And in that sense, uh, immigration policies cannot set aside um, laws which have been there for much longer and cannot change the system in one day. So I think that's the kind of stability that the laws offer. The downside is that uh, legislative processes are often quite long, and also court cases—they uh, take a lot of time. So, in that sense, the law um, cannot always easily keep up uh, with developments in society and in technology. Well, that's—it's—it's um, it's a point of attention. Yeah, at the, the same time, um, sometimes then the law just determines the speed of developments.
0: Thank you very much, Ellen Mark, for this interview.